I ask y'all to uh, do one thing for me? Just do this. Try it on time. Keep going. <laughs> hey, 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 man, hey, man, hey, man. Give someone a high five as you stand. Sit down. We don't have a runway at our church. I've always wanted to walk down a runway. <laughs> and as you can see, I did not know how to do it right. <laughs> it is a pleasure to be here. Um, we want to acknowledge all the lead team that's not here because of the storm. Um, Greg Serac, Chris Hodges, the Bissets, uh, Bizets and uh, Stovall are down in Florida and Alabama and South Carolina. So we want to acknowledge them and thank them for their leadership here. Uh, let's give them a hand and for supporting their cities. I also want to uh, echo what Dino said. Dino and I go way, way back, uh, longer than we can remember. And Delin, thank you for being my friend. And uh, you guys are great. I'm going to say something that guys can say to guys. So ladies, please don't be offended by this. Um, but Dino, if, and this is a joke, okay? But if I wasn't really your friend, I would comment that now I understand what happened here. You were talking about your dad beating on your face. That explains it, but I'm your friend. I wouldn't go there right now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't go there. <laughs> I know it's harsh. Ladies, okay, that's, the, that's, just, that's guy love. That's guy love. I love you. <laughs> and John and Lori, thank you for uh, being an example to us. Thank you for your house. It's a beautiful house. Can we get a hand? It's a beautiful place. No matter how nice your church is, there will always be one nicer. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we have 3,500 seats in San Diego, and then people go, oh, I go, okay, yeah, whatever. There's always someone nicer. This is nice, baby. This is nice. This is nice. Uh, I'm, my name is Miles. I'm from New York. I'm going to give you a short bio because I got stuff to get into. Uh, started a church in 2000. Uh, yesterday was my 33rd uh, wedding anniversary. Amen. My wife and I have three children and one grandson uh, who is three years old, so he now runs things and he's the man. I just can't, I don't know how to say it. Um, and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I believe and I'm praying and have been praying that God is going to do something supernatural, not only in your lives, but in your cities because of what's going to happen today. And me and my role, my part of that, because I'm only a part of that, has been very heavy on my heart for my entire life. Because what I'm going to talk to you today is something that has been on my heart my entire life. And so I, literally, my entire life. So I'm, I'm going to pray just for a quick second that the Holy Spirit prepare you for what he's going to say to you and to everybody watching. And, and the ripple effect in the spiritual realm, what's going to happen? Lord Jesus, uh, Lord, I pray you prepare people's hearts for what you are going to say. I thank you for ARC. I thank you for the pastors that they are raising up with a new mindset. Because we need a new breed of pastor in our culture. And I believe it's going to come from this room and this conference and this organization. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. And I pray that you prepare our hearts, prepare everyone's hearts for what you're going to say to them, and I pray they apply it to them. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, I'm going to start out with Joshua chapter 5, if you will. Joshua chapter 5. It's a very simple uh, story. We all know Joshua's getting ready to lead his, the Israelites into the promised land, and they have to face a lot of enemies, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Uptites, and the Adesites, and they're going to confront them. And as Joshua is going into the promised land, he's in Jericho, uh, he faces this man with his sword drawn. And he's going to ask the man, are you for us or them? Everyone say us and them. He says, are you for us or them? Are you, basically, are you going to fight on our side or are you going to fight against us on the other side, on the, on the side of, the, of them, on the other people? And this man, the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army is going to say, no. <laughs> you didn't ask my question. He says, are you for us or are you for them? He's going to say, no. And then we're going to see the story. Let's read it. It's very, very, three verses, four, four verses. Verse 13, it says, It came to pass, Joshua 5, 13, came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went in and said, Are you for us or our adversaries or us and them? And he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, what does my Lord, his servant, say from, to me? Joshua was basically saying, are you fighting for us and you're going to support our cause or are you going to support our enemy's cause? Because I have a job to unite, uh, I have a job to uh, um, uh, bring the promised land and your people into the promised land, the Lord's people into the promised land and establish the kingdom of God in the promised land. That's my job. So are you going to help me do that? And the Lord said, I'm not here to help you. This is my idea. And the only way this is going to happen is if you bow down to me. There's this us and them mentality. I want you to squash that. You, this is about what I am going to do, the Lord says. Can I get amen? There is a spirit of us and them called racism in our country. It's a spirit of us and them. There are a lot of us's and a lot of them's, but it doesn't matter because it's about us and them. And the devil is causing division all my life and now stirring up again all throughout our country, causing a, a spirit of us and them saying, it's got to be that side or you got to choose this side. But the gospel is the answer. And God says, I'm going to send the gospel to squash all that and bring everybody together. Because it's only the gospel when you bow down. Because God says, I'm not about anybody's side. I am the side. So I need a spirit of us, I need a to, to develop a spirit of us that unifies us, empowers us, transforms us. Here's the problem though. There's a spirit of us and them in this room. There's a spirit of us and them in every single one of your churches. My church, I said our church, we're 17 years old, we've been diverse since day one. I, was, I, I had a youth group in my house 13 years before my church, I had nine nationalities. We've always been multicultural. Every row is five, seven different nationalities. There's a spirit of us between those people. Why? <laughs> because the devil's very smart. I was, I was doing a, uh, called a meeting in San Diego for pastors to pray, and I l intentionally organized it in the urban center because I wanted some people to go someplace. And so pastors came, we had 150 pastors to come in, and I heard pastors walking in saying, I've never been to this part of San Diego before. 
Now, you have to understand, this part of San Diego is like four high schools big. It's not this little two-block area. It's like four high schools in this big area. It's two minutes from downtown. And I'm saying to myself, so you're telling me you're going to spend millions of dollars to fly all over the world to go minister to poor people, and you can't drive 10 minutes right in your own neighborhood. Why? Because there are so many people ministering around their fears and their biases. What is, where am I comfortable? Who do I feel naturally inclined to speak to or minister to? And God's saying, so wait, 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 wait. You're telling me, so if I call you over here, you're going to tell me no because your racial bias, your racial loyalty is stronger than your spiritual loyalty? So is that what you're saying to me? I was at a church. I did an in-house, in-service, a staff training on all this stuff we're going to talk about. And after the staff training, this one African-American woman stood up to the staff. The staff was mostly whiteness. And she said, and she said when an when a African-American person comes to our church, don't bring them to me. You talk to them. There's an us and them spirit. I want to talk about developing the spirit of us. One spirit. That we would all bow down, that we would, you know when you go to heaven, there's not going to be this section for those people and this section for those people and this section for those people. It's just going to be a whole bunch of people. But here's what I, here's what I need to ask you. I need to ask permission. I'm going to say what I'm going to say anyway, but I need to ask permission. 1 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But really, really what it means is where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. Okay, so I, let's, 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 Holy, let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to be Lord. And to speak to you. And I, I, and I don't want you to get caught up on the other person. Whatever you hear me say, do not apply it to the other person. Only apply it to you. Because once you start getting to the other person, then we're back at square one. So I want you to apply it to you. I'm going to apply it to you, but I'm the only one that can do that today, okay? <laughs> you just apply it to yourself. Say, God, search me, oh God. Search me. See if there is a wicked way in me. And let me tell you something. There is because racism is sin. It has nothing to do with this. It, well, it does. I shouldn't say it has nothing to do with this. It's about sin. It's a spiritual battle. God is looking for a new breed of pastor. Right here. A new breed of pastor that does this. That says, <laughs> to love your brother, to carry your, burden, carry your brother's burdens, Galatians 6.2, and so fulfill the law of Christ. A new breed of pastor that says, I am going to learn about my brother's burden. I can't carry his burden or her burden if I don't know what it is. And I certainly can't carry it if I don't understand it. And I definitely can't carry it if I don't even believe that it exists. If I believe it's exaggerated and made up. I can't carry it. So then I can't love him. Therefore, I can't minister to him. Let me tell you something. You could have a multicultural church, but you can have all these us's and them's in there. A new breed of pastor says, Lord, teach me. This is a spiritual battle. Show me how to do this. Are y'all following me? So I'm going to ask you to, I, 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 I got to be able to speak free because I have 24 minutes and 27 seconds left. Can I speak freely to you? I, I, I hear 50% saying yes. Says, okay, okay. So I'm going to give you some terms, and I want you to, you're going to have some uh, 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 terms that it would be great for you to take pictures on the screen because they're going to come up and go back, and you're going to be like, what was that? The first term, whenever I talk to uh, people about racism, sometimes they get nervous, and they say things like, I have a black friend.
Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Say, well, you laughed, now you're not going to say amen, okay? You're not being honest with me. We're already backed up. Okay, say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, very good. I'm not going to ask you to say amen if that's you, but uh, I have a black friend, you know, uh, I love everybody. I love everybody the same. Listen, I have three kids. I don't love them the same. I don't. I love them all with all my heart, but I love them different. Okay? I don't see color. Please don't say that. I know the intent that you're saying that you just want to treat everybody the same. I remember I was 20-something years old and this lady came up to me, true story, and she says, I, I don't remember what you're talking about, but she says, I don't see color. And I really said, wow, you're like, like everything's gray? You're like, you're, you're colorblind? That's really messed up. She said, no, 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 no. I don't, I, don't, I don't see color. You're not, you're not black to me. And I was like, so what am I? You gonna tell me you don't see this nice tan skin right here? Come on now, hey. <laughs> uh, very briefly, when I, I was drafted to the Los Angeles Rams, I had to fly to LA and I went to, uh, this is when the LA was there the first time, then it went back. But I went to the airport and there was this guy at the airport and he was my height, my complexion, and about 100 pounds heavier. And I literally said, what is that brother? In my head, I was like, I don't know what he is. He's from New York, a lot of light-skinned brothers are Puto Rican, so I'm not Puerto Rican. I'll get into my, my racial bio, biography in here in a minute. And I was like, what, what is that guy? And, and I went up to him, and I said, yo, man, I just need to know, what are you? For real, just tell me right now. And he said, yo, man, I'm Samoan. <laughs> you got some Samoan people up here. So, and I'm like, nah, brother, you just look like Samoan Negro. That's what I'm saying, you because know, you just like smooth. And he was just like walking all slow and smooth. And I never met a human being in that package. One day in eternity past, God said, I'm going to design some Samoans. I'm not going to call them Simones because, I mean, I don't know what he called them, but there's going to be, a, and, and, and for you to say you don't see that, that's just stupid. You're lying to yourself. Now, let me say, wh why can't we get to a point where we can acknowledge the creative, loving package that God gave somebody? <laughs> understanding that the image of God in them is not inferior or superior to the image of God in anybody else. You have to understand that. The image of God in us is the same because God can't be less than himself somewhere else. He's the same yesterday, today, and everywhere. And so let's get to a point where you say, no, no, I see what you are. And you know what? Guess what? I want to know your experience. Because your experience, because when you tell me you don't see what, I, what this is, you're telling me you don't, you don't want to acknowledge the experience this may have. Let me give you a little, little genetic information. By the way, we're all in this room 99.5% 99 .9, genetically the same. I was in a prison one time, and, I, and this white supremacist was walking around the, the track. Make a long story short, I called him over, and he stood right here to me. And I said, Jesus, Jesus wants you. He had no shirt on. He, he had so many racist tattoos on his body that his body was black. <laughs> I wanted to say, brother, you're blacker than me, okay? He's right here. And little did he know, he was looking at a genetic mirror. When you look at somebody, you are looking at, into a genetic mirror. 
and you are also looking at someone who is another shade of brown. I hate to break it to you white people. You're just a lighter shade of brown. Now, when you go to Hawaii, you get a tan, and you get a tan, you become what? Come on, uh, I, now, now a lot of y'all go, I can't say it. I just can't say it. <laughs> the words won't come out. I'm not saying you're black. I'm not saying you're African-American. I'm just saying that God colored all of us with melanin, which is brown. And when you go to, and when you go to, you get a tan, the, the, the sun uh, excites the melanin skins and, you're, and you turn brown. And guess what? You come home and you want everybody to see it. What if you went to, got spent 10 days in, in Hawaii, got the tan and came back and said, I don't see color. I don't, I don't see your tan. I don't. And by the way, by the way, there's a name for this nervousness. It's called white fragility. It is the inability for white people to handle racial stress because the culture that you have lived in shielded you from having to deal with race. You have to understand that there are people in your church who do not have that experience. And the, the, in a, the lack of drama because of racism that you had to deal with is not the experience of other people. And all you have to do is ask them. Ask us. Simple question. Tell me your experience. They're sitting right next to you. They praise God with you. And what's so frustrating for people of color is when we want to talk about it, we get the fragility. Oh, I have a black friend. I don't want to talk about it. Da, da, da. And there's no conversation. There's no healing. And everything stays the same. That's the problem. What if we could just talk? It's so simple. When I was at the end of this training with the staff, this one African-American woman stood up. She says, my husband, when he walked to church, he came into church. The usher gave a bulletin to the white person in front of him and then the white person behind him. She says, can we just talk? We want to talk. We want to talk. So my racial background is 50.2% 50 50 Sub-Saharan Sub Sub African, 34% European. Why? Because I have a white grandmother. I'll tell you about her in a minute. I have, and 16% Asian. I have a half Chinese and half black grandmother. What does that make me? Just brown. Both my grandfathers are, are black, and all my grandparents grew up in Jamaica, a black Jamaican. My white grandmother was sent to Jamaica, Queens, from Jamaica, West Indies, because her parents did not want her marrying a black Jamaican. She goes to Jamaican, Queens. What does she meet? A black Jamaican. She calls home and says, Ma, Dad, what had happened was... <laughs> my grandfather died before I could get to know him, so our family was all these light-skinned brown people and this one white lady. I was wondering, where did she come from? Because we don't know her family because when she married my grandfather, her family cut her off. And even though they lived 15 minutes away, they grew up in Long Island, they lived in Queens. If you know the area, you know how close that is. Uh, and they lived 15 minutes away and we never heard one word about them. I never knew. Matter of fact, all, all my young years, I didn't know she had a family. And they lived right there. But Grandma Dorothy was our rock. We called her Obi-Wan Kenobi because she had this, this coat with a point on it and we would throw snowballs at her and the snowballs would just go around her and she's like the force was with her. Anyway, your social narrative is the story that defines you. 
what your parents told you, what culture told you, what TV told you, what your history books told you. That is your social narrative. So when you look in the mirror and you define who you are, you were told that by your culture. Your social reinforcement are the people in your life who reinforce that message of who you think you are. You're white, you're black, you're poor, you're rich, you're this or whatever it is. And that's how you start to identify who you are. And more importantly, that's how you begin to identify them because your social narrative also identifies them. And I grew up in a, in a black neighborhood. I went to school in a white neighborhood. And when I went to school in the white neighborhood from first to eighth grade in a Catholic school, got called the N-word, got in fights, all that kind of stuff, drove, rode my bike back into the black neighborhood, got called white boy because I'm too light for black and too dark for white. So I got it from both sides. So I know, I know a little bit about both sides. Well, not a little bit, a lot, a lot of it. But when we start to rename people as them, and I'm not going to go through all the other names we call other people, I'm talking to all of us in here. When we start to rename people, whether they're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever, and we categorize them, once we start to rename them, this is, this is how the devil's so slick. Once you rename them, you, he, the devil gives you permission not to love them. Here's why. <laughs> Here's why. <laughs> Let me read a verse to you. You all know the verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. It's the first and greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what if he's not your neighbor? In other words, what if you renamed him? When I was a little kid, I used to love uh, um, uh, cowboy and Indian movies. I love, I wanted to learn more about the Indians. I just, how, how do they do what they do? They're just like, they ride horseback with no saddle. They, they just, they got skills, but they were savages. That was their name. That's what we were told. But yet they were getting attacked, but they were sad. I was like, I don't, and once the devil can get you to rename them, however you want to rename them and whoever you are renaming whoever them is. Well, I'm talking to all of us in the room. Can I get an amen? 1 John 4, 20, it says, if someone says, I love you, God, and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? But what if it says, what if he's not your brother? What if you renamed him? You gave him another title or another, uh, another symbol that demotes him from being your brother, and therefore you don't have to necessarily love him. You don't have to take a risk and put yourself in an uncomfortable situation to do God's work for them. So you can say, I'm going to do what's comfortable. you got to investigate your own heart, how true this is in your own life. Because I know people, ministries, black, white, Hispanic, Asian ministries, they'll say, we're just going to minister to our own. It's the same thing. I'm not going to go five minutes down the road because that's those people, they got their own problems. And God is saying, how can I get my people to be us? How can we minister together as a united us? Sociologists uh, teach us that we tend to, as humans, group people together. It's called in-group, out-group. Your in-group are the people who are like you, and your out-group are people who are not like you. Whether all guys, we're an in-group. If you're a guy, hey, we're guys, that's in-group. All the ladies, y'all are in-group. Athletes, you're in-group. Okay, so if you're, if you're an athlete or you're a marathoner, all the marathoners are in-group. Y'all get, get the spirit of what I'm saying, right? Okay, and in your in-group, you are very cognizant of details about your in-group. 
You know them very intimately. Like if I was to go to a lady saying, I don't, I don't know ladies as well as ladies know ladies. Can I get an amen? Okay, don't say that too loud, but like, you know, like I'm, I'm ignorant. But, but, you know, ladies, they just know how they are, and guys are kind of, hey, 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 we don't know. I was at, I was at a vacation uh, recently, and I was in the gym working out, and there was a guy in there, and I just knew he's an athlete. He doesn't work out. He's not just a guy who works out. He's an athlete. There's a difference. And I, I said, what do you do? He's a hockey player. So we had that bond because we were athletes. And then he wanted to be a football player, so we had that affinity. Okay? So you know what I'm saying? So you have in-group, and then in your in-group, you have very intimate information about the people in your in-group, but you do not have that information about the people in your out-group. So what you tend to do is generalize to the people in your out-group. What about race? You know your race really well, but you might not know the other races really well. So you tend to stereotype and generalize on the outgroup. This is it's, it's human nature. We all do it. Doesn't make you a racist unless, unless you are not willing to learn about your outgroup. And you are not willing to bless your outgroup. And, and, and you are not willing to include your outgroup in your in-group. How do you do that? Well, guess what? There's a thing called in-group bias. What does that mean? Is that when you identify your in-group, you tend to be more patient with your in-group. You tend to be more gracious with your in-group. You tend to give your in-group the benefit of the doubt. And you tend to have initially positive, more positive assumptions about your in-group than your out-group. Are you following what I'm saying? So you walk into a room, you see someone like you, whether it be race, whether it be female, whether it be a profession, and all of a sudden you have an affinity with that person and you have positive thoughts about that person, you have grace about that person, you want to do favors to that person, but the opposite is true about the out-group. You trust them less. You give them less grace. You are less patient. You are less willing to give them a favor. Are you following what I'm saying? And by the way, it's human nature. However, if you now know that, you don't have to say, well, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a racist. I'm a, I'm a. No, no, no. You, we just favor each other. Okay, that's sinful. Okay, but now how can I now reverse it? How can I say, listen, brother, I, you know, I, I, I'm talking to somebody. I now want to know you more. I want to extend to you the grace that I would extend to him. I want to extend the patience to you that I would extend to the patience to him. You could just do that in your church and just ask yourself when you're with people that are different than you, how am I feeling right now? Because you can BS everybody. But you can't fool God. And you know in your heart, you're like, I, I don't, I, I'm not feeling comfortable with this person. I'm going to read a verse to you. Matthew 5. 30, 43, and I'm going to insert, by the way, in-group are those people like me. Out-group are those people not like me. Are you following me? Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate those not like you. But I say to you, love your enemies, those not like you. Bless those not like you, who curse you and do those. Do, do good to those not like you who hate you and pray for you. Pray for those not like you who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven for he makes his sun rise on those not like you and good on those not like you. He sends rain on the just and the unjust, those not like you. For if you love those who are like you, what reward do you have? Do not even those not like you do the same. So if you greet your brethren only, those like you, what do you have more than others? Those not like you 
Not even the tax collectors, those not like you do the same thing. Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It is easy to love people like you. That's, that's, you don't get any credit for that. You, there's nothing spiritual, but there's nothing spiritual about that. Heathens do that. But it's when you say, I'm not going to love you. We, get them get in the room, step one. Now, how can we love each other? How can we learn from each other? How can we say, I want to understand your experience? I want to not discount your complaining as exaggeration. I want to lean into it and learn. There's a term uh, that, a couple of terms in my favorite time called internalized racism. There was a guy who had a fish tank and he put a piece of glass in the middle of the fish tank. Fish tank went this way to a fish in the fish tank. He put a piece of glass in the fish tank dividing this side from that side and he put fish only on this side. And the fish kept hitting the fish tank, the, the, the glass in the middle. They couldn't get to this side. And after hitting glass so many times, they just stopped. And then he took the glass out and the fish never went over there because they were so conditioned that this applies to a lot of things, <laughs> amen. They were so conditioned that I'm not gonna even try anymore. There are people who have internalized the voice of their racist where they hate themselves and they attack their own. They discriminate against their own because they started to believe it, which is even more evil because now it's self-inflicted. They call themselves the names that their discriminators called them. They believe the lies about themselves that were told to them. God says you are a son of the king, you are a royal priesthood, you are a co-heir in Christ, and all those lies are not true. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because that you have never hit your head in the glass. <laughs> There is a term called white privilege that I know makes a lot of your hairs crawl up because every time I talk to somebody about it, they, <gasps> I was at it coming out of the airport and I was talking to a lady about, oh, by the way, I'm writing a book on all this. It's coming out in April. And, uh, and I was, I was talk, talking to this lady in the, in the airport about the book and I said, hey, and I said, what would you want to learn from a book on racism? She says, well, I just want to know what I don't know. I said, have you ever heard of race, white privilege? And she just said, I worked hard for everything I've had. I said, I'm sure you have. Very, that's, that's very admirable of you, but I'm not talking about that at all. Has nothing to do with being born with a silver spoon. I said, do you think that being white would ever prevent you from or negatively impact your ability to get a loan? She said, that's stupid to you. Have you ever feel like you can go get a house wherever you want and not have to worry about the neighborhood or the, the, the real estate people directing you away from a neighborhood because you weren't welcome. That's stupid. My sister, she bought a house in Maryland. She, we got the real estate agent. The real estate agent said, I have to find an appropriate neighborhood for your family. And she said, what does that mean? She said, well, by law, I can't tell you. But she told us anyway. Make a long story short, my sister picked the neighborhood she wanted to pick, which was one of those neighborhoods. But what happened was, what had happened, my sister goes in the neighborhood, and when they moved in, her husband's a cop, was a cop, they don't live there anymore, and because the cops brought their cars home, her husband brought his cop car home with nine other cop cars, and all the cops got out and helped my sister move in, and the neighbor says, oh, they're one of us, <laughs> the police. This is reality. White privilege is not about you having a silver spoon at all, it's that there are 
obstacles that you are not even aware exist. That is the privilege. A friend of mine was driving down the street, African-American guy, he was driving his 1922 Suburban, and he was going up a hill, and, the late, and, and he got stopped by the police, and the police said, you're going 53 miles an hour, and when he got stopped by the police, he puts his hand on the, on, the, on, the, on the steering wheel, and he stops and freezes, and he just answers the questions, doesn't move, and at the same time, his wife is yelling at the cop, I want your badge number, I want your uh, superior officer, that speed gun is rogue, and she's just yelling at the cop, yelling at the cop, yelling at the cop, and my friend is just sitting there like this. His wife was white. She had no concept of, I, I would say what I want to say. In his mind, I can't say what I want to say. So wh why is this important? It's important for, for you to know because when you hear that term, no one's telling you that everything, everybody gave everything to you. It's not about, it's that you live with privileges that other people don't live with and that you don't know it, which is fine. And by the way, it doesn't make you racist at all. Unless, and there is a unless. You knowingly leverage your privilege to hold somebody down. But what you can do, what you can do is you can leverage your privilege to build the kingdom of God. And you can leverage your kingdom and say, I now understand and I want to learn more about it. And I want to learn more how to help my brother because there is a spirit of us that needs to happen. There was a spirit of us. I got two minutes and a half, and I want to tell you this last story, and I'll read this verse to you. Let me read this verse to you, Matthew, Matthew 25, 31, and then I'm going to pray. Matthew 25, 31 and 36. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all his angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, for... <laughs> You inherited the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me and in prison, and you came to me. All the nations are going to be before him. Everyone say all. Oh, it's the spirit of us. <laughs> and you know what the criteria is going to be? Not what nation they came from. Did they help the poor and the sick and the naked? No matter what they look like, and no matter what your fear was, or your bias was, or your social narrative, what your stories you were told by your parents, or, your, or the media, or whoever. It doesn't matter. Lord, I am going to bow to you because the only way we're going to take the promised land is that if we bow together at the foot of Jesus Christ. There was a guy, God forbid, that, that you would die, and God would say, you know what, I was naked and you didn't come to me because I was not like you. You didn't feed me because I was not like you. You didn't talk to me because you were scared of a conversation. Got to get over that. There was a guy hunting in the woods. And he was looking through the woods and he saw this monster walking to him. And the monster was coming and it was trees and bushes and he was trying to get a good shot at the monster. But it kept ducking behind a tree, a bush, and it kept getting closer. And he's like, I got to shoot this monster before it, it gets to me. And next thing you know, the monster was standing right next to him. And he realized the monster was his brother. There's no monsters in here. There's no monsters. And let me tell you, the people who hate you, who all of us, everybody here is hated by somebody, they're not a monster either. They're just lost. And the love of God can overcome even that. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. My time is up. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we pray for the spirit of us. That there is no them. 
the lost people that we have to love, that, uh, the, that your love covers a multitude of sin. Lord, I pray that you stir people's hearts, that you jam people up today. And as they're laying in bed struggling and maybe disagreeing and arguing what they heard today, that the Spirit of God would say, sit in it. Lean into it. Pray for a spirit of us in your heart. Because only then will the world look at the church that right now is segregated and say, that's the kingdom I want to be part of. That's the family I want to be part of. That's a group of people that represent the heart of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all. God bless you. Lane Grant.